Hello, everyone, and welcome to United We Stand. I'm your host, Jim Feeney, and this show airs every week, every Wednesday, with 30 minutes of uh, hopefully insightful commentary about the world around us and how we build a stronger, more sustainable America. You can also find uh, these broadcasts on podcasts at uh, www.jimfeeney.com and subscribe. You could subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, Buzzsprout, and a whole bunch of other places. So today we have been uh, we, we started the first sort of segment sitting in for Rhett talking about sort of my views of how we fix American education, how we improve it. And this second half hour, we have a fantastic guest and uh, he's calling in from Vermont. Brian Barefoot is uh, Brian with us. I'm here. Brian, welcome. Uh, how's the weather up there? Beautiful. It's uh, mid 70s, no humidity. Oh, God, it is. He- well, you know how, yeah, if you've stayed here in the summer, you know what Florida's like right now in July. Where in Vermont are you? little town called Dorset, Vermont, where we have a little cabin, and my uh, son and his family are here, and we're close to our two daughters and the other grandchildren, so... It was a. It was a. We hadn't seen him for a while, and Vermont's been very safe, yeah, relatively speaking, from this virus, at least statistically. So mm-hmm. it's nice to be around the the little folk. Absolutely, uh, I remember we we had a, a vacation cabin up in the White Mountains in New Hampshire for uh, ten years or so when our kids were young, and that was just a uh, just a an absolute escape hatch for the, the craziness in Boston. Yeah. So. Folks, for listening here, Brian has had an amazing career that spanned the private sector and education in the past 40 years. Grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, and he and his wife, Pan, have been residents of Indian River County since 2000. Brian graduated from Babson College, great great college up in Wellesley, Mass., with a, a finance degree. And his professional career has spanned over 30 years in financial services uh, with senior management positions at Merrill Lynch and Payne Weber. After Wall Street, Brian became the CEO of NeoVision's Hypersystem, uh, a firm that developed the, uh, the heat maps that we see so often uh, in technology these days. So I'm going to go through a quick list of some of Brian's many achievements because it is impressive. He served as the trustee of his alma mater in Babson College and in 2001 became its 11th president where he served for seven years until he retired in 2008. He's a trustee and treasurer of the Kent Place School, K through 12 school for uh, girls in Summit, New Jersey, a trustee of Burr and Burton Academy in uh, an old school in Manchester, Vermont. Over 40 years of experience Brian has in, in education has served in various leadership roles. He currently serves as an advisor to the Karl Marx Advisors, a middle market investment banking firm. He was a director of Adjoint, a blockchain technology company in Boston, and, and I definitely want to talk with you uh, off the record with that. He's a director of Ethic Bank Boston, was a board member of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts, on uh, the board of a venture capital firm in Marblehead, Mass., other investment partnerships. He was He's the vice chairman of the Cleveland Clinic here, Medical Center here in Indian River County. Incredible. Trustee and chair of advancement uh, at our St. Edward School, where my kids attend, and was inter- instrumental in helping save that school in the 2008 financial crisis. He was the mayor of Indian River Shores for a stint in 2013 to 2018. And finally, Brian is running for Indian River County School Committee this year. I'm out of breath, Brian. This is one of the most impressive resumes to me that spans the public and private sector in a way that I just don't see these days. So I'm so pleased to have you here to talk about education and how what that means here in Indian River County. It's 
uh, and, and you know, the, the nice thing about it is that I'm able to tie, you know, my professional career into the, you know, away from that, whether it's on a, a for-profit board or a not-for-profit board. And of course, having been president of a college, you better know how to raise money. So, um, <laughs> sure. all complimentary, but as I, as I like to say, um, and in some of the campaign stuff, I uh, there was a, a, a quote from uh, Arne Duncan, who was Obama's education secretary, maybe one of the – not a lot of things that I agreed with, but this I agree with. He made a comment uh, back in, in the 2011 Martin Luther King Day speech. He said, education is the civil rights issue of our generation. Absolutely. And here we are nine, eight, nine years later, and it still is. And if anything, I think public public education, particularly in the large cities, seems to be deteriorating, not improving. So uh, we better get our act together as a country or we're going to have a, a problem. If not us, we may not be around, but, but our children and grandchildren for sure. It really is. I mean, I was stunned to see in 2018, the midterm elections, that Ron DeSantis, who's our governor here in Florida, he triumphed over Andrew Gillum, who was the mayor of Jacksonville, an African-American man. And the, the, the thing that threw DeSantis over the top is that he had a, several orders of magnitude higher percentage of African-American moms that voted for him, voted for a Republican rather than a Democrat. It was over 150,000, I think, votes representative, and that's what gave the election to Ron DeSantis. And these were moms that were vote, that were it was all about the stance of charter schools and all about the horrible public schools that these kids are forced to live in. And the charter schools pr- provide just much better outcomes for these uh, disadvantaged communities. And those moms really voted for better education for their kids, just an indictment of the public education system in these big cities. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think the fact of the matter is, if you, and, and it's very difficult in the environment we live in now of partisan politics, if not ultra-partisan. I mean, I used to, I remember I played a lot of football, and I'm a big football fan, New England Patriots, by the way. Yeah, go Pats. Cares. But football was, has always been played, you know, between a 35-yard line. Sometimes you're on one side of the 50, sometimes you're on the other. If you equate it to politics today, everybody's playing inside their own 10-yard line, and and, and they never meet. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's anything that ought to be nonpartisan, it, it's education. And health care, I could throw into the same bucket. So, sure. uh, And in this environment, it's really hard to get people to step back and forget all the ideology and, and really focus on what do we, what can we do? And I think the fact your statistic there on, on support from single African American mothers, I mean, most of them I would guess are Democrats, but mm-hmm. that reinforces it. The idea that education is or should be nonpartisan. We need to address this. And there's, Probably a ton of reasons why it's it's become such a, a mess. Look at New York City. Two of my grand, my son and his family live in New York City, and two of uh, his two children both go to public schools. And fortunately for them, they happen to be in, in two good ones. But the vast majority of them really struggle on about every metric, and it's a problem. It really is. I mean, and I'm just amazed. New York, you brought up New York City. I talked about that, their hostility to charter schools and any public education reform in my prior segment. And uh, But despite all of that hostility and government using its power to keep charter schools 
from forming in New York. You have Eva Moskowitz with Success Academies that's just done a, a phenomenal job creating just incredibly higher outcomes if, if compared to the average New York student, never mind New York City student. Yeah, and there was some rumor, I actually hope it's true, you know, maybe a year ago that she was actually con- considering running for mayor. It might be a, a, a one-issue candidate, but it's probably... It's the right issue. The right issue. <laughs> I mean, I can't think of one that's more important. There may be a few that are as important. But, you know, in Indian River County, there are 27 schools, five charters. Mm-hmm. High school, a couple of middle schools, or maybe one middle school, three elementary. I'm not quite sure exactly. But two of them are rated as A schools in the state, and three are rated as Bs, and, and the other... 22 schools. There's a couple of magnets in there, but basically you've got 11 of the call them pure public schools rank C, and then there's a, a couple of A's in the elementary school and a, and a few B's. And and it's clear. And, and in one of the interviews that I had, and I think I got endorsed by the uh, Treasure Coast Builders Association, but uh, here last week. But one of the, in the interview with them. One of the questions of me was, what's your response to the argument that the charters get the cream of the crop, they pull all the money away or too much money away from the public schools? And my response is, did you ever play athletics? You know, compete. Don't complain about what everybody else is doing. Why don't you, why don't you upgrade your own game? Exactly. And if the public schools, and I think Dr. Moore, our new superintendent, is basically thrown down the gauntlet to the schools, pick a niche, whether it's music, the arts, whatever it is, and be really good at it. Be great at that. And, and you and you will attract kids whose talents or interests lie in that direction. And over time, the whole system will be upgraded. Mm-hmm. Uh, charters are great, and the track record feeds themselves. But that doesn't mean we're supposed to forget about the public schools. And if we can get the fact the teachers and the administrators on the same page, and actually I think Moore has done a particularly good job of making amends with the, uh, with the teachers' unions, mm-hmm. uh, they seem to be getting along quite well. That's a great news. They're working together. The pandemic is you know, challenging for everybody. There's no, there doesn't seem to be a right answer. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Well, you're coming at a great time uh, with great ideas of uh, how to, because we have this problem right here in Indian River County. I mean, we are one of the wealthiest counties in the United States. I think we're in the top five. That's incredible. I mean, you know, our little niche here on the Treasure Coast. So to have this sort of, and we have plenty of tax dollars, there's plenty of money in the system, it seems to me, now correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, with the wealth that's here and the disparity of education in our public schools, it's just not, it just doesn't make sense. Um, we've got to, maybe it's the way we do things. And I think your description of Dr. Moore throwing down the gauntlet and saying, hey, pick a lane and be great. Be, choose your greatness and then they will come. I think that's brilliant. I didn't know that. So it's great to hear about Dr. Moore. One of the things that I wanted to address was, you know, Indian River Public Schools are under a desegregation order and have been so for over 50 years, I think. They've been working at addressing the issues there. But uh, are you you familiar with this? 
Yeah, unfortunately, I am not as familiar as I probably should be yet. But uh, yes, I'm just going to go with you. Uh, go over a couple of the of the key things that are in this order. It calls for adding more African-American teachers, so instructional staff and mentors in a, in a better effort to reflect the African-American student population, provide mentorship training for new teachers, and continue implementation of its African-American student achievement plan, which uh, aims to eliminate the achievement gap in the district. And some of the, the key perspectives of that or items there are eliminating out-of-school suspensions except for the most serious cases. Principals are going to have to document when and why students are punished to make sure African-American students are not being discriminated against. African-American students will receive mentoring to help prepare them for taking advanced classes starting this year. And they point out that very few African-American students are encouraged to strive for or admitted to honors programs in the district. And they often perform poorly when they get there because they aren't prepared for the coursework. So that's those are the, the sort of the key points of the desegregation order and it sounds, from my research, it sounds to me that like the county uh, has been addressing those at, at a pretty steady pace. But, you know, I'd just like to hear your thoughts on how to go best go about this, how to motivate as a leader uh, the best performance from, from people uh, that are in the teaching profession and from parents and from the kids themselves. Well, first of all, I have to admit that it wasn't until maybe two years ago, and I've been around this. In fact, uh, my parents bought a home in Vero Beach in 1971. And so even as a young man and my, my kids, you know, would visit here frequently. And then my wife's folks bought a home, same place in, in the early 80s. And uh, so we've been around this place for a long time and mm-hmm. seen it evolve. And But having said that, as you said earlier, we bought our first, our first home in, in 2000. I had no idea that in this day and age, uh, let alone the, the city in Florida in which we we bought a home was under a desegregation <laughs> order. I know it. So it was it was quite a I won't call it a shock. Nothing shocks me anymore, but it was disappointing. Let's say that. So mm-hmm. that, along with a few other uh, reasons, is one of the reasons that I really started to spend some time and ultimately was encouraged to to get into the uh, the election game. I think that. A couple of mistakes were made. I can't go back very far, but I can certainly go back for the last five or six years. I think the mistake that was made, first of all, as soon as you turn establishing metrics uh, over to the courts, you're in trouble. Oh, yes. And and, and what's happened here is because of the uh, inability to get this issue resolved all this time, the courts are now mandating certain metrics, and they may or may not be relevant. The big issues, you define them very well, Jim. I think those are the big issues. Now, how you measure progress is something else again. In my experience in the business world, if I'm on the board, uh, you negotiate with your CEO the goals and objectives for the next year. And you you negotiate, you don't mandate measurement standards. Mm -hmm. They have to be reasonable, maybe stretch, but it's a discussion. Mm What's been allowed to happen here is that they've been arbitrarily set. Now, that isn't necessarily a problem, but when a David Moore comes in as a new superintendent and he's looking for something for goals or objectives that have been set by the courts and perhaps arbitrarily, that presents a bit of a challenge. I think the other problem for the last few years is that the district has spent at least $750,000 to a Chicago law firm to fight the desegregation order. Now, 
if you and I were sitting down and we had an issue with a, a, a constituents, a group of shareholders, if you were a public company, right. you would sit down with that group. You would agree on where is it that we, we have to get and then work and agree on, a, on, a, on tactics and measurement standards that would show progress. But instead of doing that, the administration at the time – uh, and it obviously had been ongoing for a long time, chose to fight it. Right. It would have been solved by now, my guess is, because I've seen what's transpired here in the last uh, few months with Dr. Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an equity committee, a uh, very talented young woman by the name of Mershon Green uh, is the chair of it, representatives from the NAACP, representatives from the district, a few subcommittees, one right. of which is focused on recruitment of African-American teachers, which I've been invited to join or at least advise. I faced the same problem at Babson. It's not enough teachers of color and uh, therefore not enough role models for, for young folks. Uh, so I think progress is being made, but I think a lot of mistakes and a lot of money has been wasted along the way. I couldn't agree with you more. Another thing that I want to point out, too, is all of the change with regard to competition or however you want to frame it. But, you know, best practices can be gleaned lots of different places. Sometimes best practices come from outside your organization. You learn from completely different industries that, that have a, a similar business process that can be applied. I saw this in my, my businesses uh, that I ran, to software businesses, but how Agile and Scrum just sort of borrowed from lean manufacturing principles and it's revolutionized how we build software. But my wife Katie and I are active donors and volunteers for the Crossover Mission here in uh, in Indian River County. And Crossover is a nonprofit that really kind of plugs that gap that we're talking about, that achievement gap. It focuses in, focuses on at risk kids. The supermajority are kids of color, and um, we're through a program of mentoring and uh, an actual hands on tutoring. And we're able to raise their bar, raise their base level. And being an active tutor myself, and my kids do this, my wife does this consistently, we see the baseline. These are all kids that are coming from the public school. We see the baseline that they're starting from, and it's so low. And the reason we know that is because four of the kids that we worked with last year, we raised their baseline to the point where we got them into St. Edward's School. So they are now students with my kids, and they're na- they, they started from a lower baseline, had some difficulties, and then, then quickly brought themselves up to the standard uh, of the rest of the school, which is, a, in my opinion, a higher standard than what they were learning in the public school. So how do we, how do you, what's your idea of how do you partner with some of these organizations that already exist in Indian River County, instead of getting the stiff arm from either the school committee or the teachers union, engage with some of these, uh, these organizations, because they, they've got some answers. They've got some, some ideas that work. Well, as you're probably familiar, the Learning Alliance, which is an organization that's now 10, 11 years old, that was founded by Ray Oglethorpe, who resides in uh, in uh, Vero Beach, and Barbara Hammonds, who is the executive director. They're focused on early childhood literacy, and the, the mm-hmm. research says that if you can't read at least grade level by the third grade, you're going to be behind forever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, that organization, starting probably six, seven years ago, maybe even sooner, but began to fund uh, training programs uh, for teachers, elementary school teachers, kindergarten teachers, to, to begin to teach them how these kids perform. 
And uh, obviously, after the period of time, uh, the kids that are now up in 6th, 7th, 8th grade, they're going to be close, if not equal to, or maybe even ahead of, of whatever the level of reading is, is, is expected. Uh, there's another organization called uh, Child Care Resources, which my wife has been very involved mm-hmm. in, that focuses on almost from birth to kindergarten. And uh, this is a certified, uh, you could call it preschool, uh, with very dedicated and, and accomplished teachers. That organization is led, led by Shannon Bowman. And they've done a marvelous job. And, and when, you, when you look at the continuum between when a child's born today and, uh, let's say, third grade, the teachers in kindergarten will tell you that the kids that were lucky enough to be part of the child care resource program for the previous years read at or above what's expected of them. And then the kids that haven't, you know, are just starting from scratch, let's say, maybe even a little behind or a little ahead. But the, the combination of these two programs offers hope. The problem is, at least with child care resources, they have a waiting list that's probably bigger than the kids that they're able to take into the school because there's not enough funding in order to expand their footprint, if you will. Mm-hmm. So as you point out, Jim, there are organizations that have a focus and a commitment of even a passion uh, for working on this. And I think it's a good example where public-private partnership, if you will, can make a difference. And that's one of the things that I think can you know, differentiate me, certainly from other people in the school board race, is mm-hmm. that I'm sort of part of that private sector. And, and you're I, willing and to look I, at that and see that there and are... I think there's things we can do that can complement or supplement uh, Dr. Moore and some of his initiatives, much like the public has been, the private sector has been so supportive of, of our hospital over the years. Right. And if it hadn't, if they had not have been, I guarantee a Cleveland Clinic would not have been as interested in taking over Indian River Medical Center as they as were, they have, and obviously sure. successfully so. All right, uh, Brian, we've got about uh, three minutes left, and uh, I want to give you as much airtime as possible here. The question on everyone's mind these days that has school age kids: How do you balance the need for our kids to back, get back to school with COVID? How are we doing this? You know, if I had the answer, I'd be I'd be out playing the lottery. I wouldn't be talking <laughs> to you. It's, yet it's a decision we have to make in the county. What do we do? Yeah, yeah. I think I think well, you know, DeSantis is certainly pushing. Corcoran, the Secretary of Education, is pushing. Uh, I think the kids have to get in school. I think the social aspect of it, particularly for the younger kids, is more important, frankly, than the classroom work. Mm-hmm. And uh, we fall behind in your social development. Sometimes it's harder to catch up than it is academically. I think you, you know you hope that you can eat, uh, open up. You hope you do it safely. Right. There's a lot of time and effort being spent on protocols and, and discussions, I, I trust, with the uh, teachers' unions, the, the, the teachers, the principals. Uh, do you do some groups in the morning, some in the afternoon? Do you do some every other day? And we could go on and on about what the options are. And hopefully we can get the kids in school and we can do so safely in whatever format's chosen. The one thing that I do think, uh, you, we talk about the achievement gap, it's only been exacerbated uh, when you have By this when you, COVID, you no doubt about yeah. it. I mean, you're at home, you, you got three kids, you got parents out of work or furloughed, maybe only one parent, you got kids fighting, you got who knows what goes on, mm-hmm. but it's not conducive to learning in many cases, not all cases. 
But I trust that uh, Moore and his team are considering different scenarios and various options. And whatever they think is going to work today, I can almost guarantee it won't be the choice to be made when it is time. But I think there's every effort being made to get these schools open and get these kids back in the classroom. Teachers are some teachers are concerned, particularly older teachers about their health as they should be. So it's a challenge and it's tricky, but uh, I'm hopeful. Yes. I mean, you have to be hopeful. I mean, there are, you know, having school-age kids and watching my daughter go through uh, online learning for the balance of this past semester, uh, it definitely was not optimal. Uh, She's a great student and she got more out of it than others, but she was telling me uh, consistently, oh, this one is not even going to class because they're, they're traumatized or whatever. It's just not the right environment, I think, teach kids uh, a primary school level. Anyway, it's been a pleasure to have you here, Brian. We, we look forward to uh, the election. When is the election, by the way? August 18th is the primary, but, uh, but for the school board, the sheriff's race, and the county commission, and one of the judgeships, the, the, the race is the race. Got it. Uh, it doesn't spill over to the general election, although it may in the sheriff's race mm-hmm. because there's an independent in there. Got it, got it. Well, it's been a real pleasure, and we're rooting for you on August 18th. Brian Barefoot, candidate for school committee here in Indian River County. Uh, thank you so much for being our guest. And that's all for today, folks, and United We Stand. We'll talk to you next week. 